Uh, hey, this is Donna Noble here. I help LGBT couples stay together using a psychobiological approach to couples therapy. And if you want to leverage your message to gain deeper influence and build a lasting legacy, you should be listening to Stories That Sell with my friend Scott Ramage. You have the knowledge, the experience, and the talent needed to succeed. But in the day and age we live in, skill is not enough. Your story is the most powerful tool in your arsenal. This show will help you tap into that resource and learn how to leverage your message to gain deeper influence and build a lasting legacy. Tune in each week as thought leaders, entrepreneurs, and authors share how they've built empires on the backs of their story. You're listening to Stories That Sell with your host, Scott Ramage. Hey, everybody, before we get started on this episode of Stories That Sell, imagine having a team of professional. Wow, got to start over. All right. Hey, everybody, before we get started on this episode of Stories That Sell, imagine having a team of virtual professionals helping you get massive amounts of work done from editing videos, creating social media content editing your podcast, managing your social media accounts, nurturing leads, processing payments, and so much more. Media Machine is here to make sure your productivity skyrockets while performing tasks and roles you simply don't want to do or don't have the time or skills to do. Media Machine offers a wide range of services that will help you scale your business and save money. Check out our website, mediamachine.net and book an appointment to find out more. Welcome to the show, Donna. I am super excited to have you. Yeah. Hi, Scott. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's a, it's a pleasure. I love talking to people. I love diving into their history, their background, and most importantly, their expertise. <laughs> and uh, we always start this podcast out. And I'm really excited about this because I don't know you. Like some guests <laughs> I know, I've had time to talk with them. And for, for you and I, it's a really fresh relationship. You got... Um, my, my business partner chatted with you. So here we are. And so I get to hear the story along with the listeners fresh right out of your mouth. So what I want to do is like jump right in to your st story, wherever you want to start it, uh, going back as far as you want to go, but it's relevant <laughs> to where you are today in your business. Wow. Okay. This is, yeah. Um, it's been a journey for sure. Um, I was um, actually raised in a Mormon home. I'm one of 13 kids. Holy moly. <laughs> I, I know I'm number four at the top. Um, and, you know, I was expected to be as a Mormon, especially a female in the church, you're expected to be a wife, to have kids. Um, and that is what you're like taught to do your whole life is like, okay, you are preparing to be a wife. Um, and it never quite set in me, like that, that was my dream. My dream was I wanted, um, there was something that I always felt like just this, like charge in me, this interest of impacting of, um, and I didn't know what it was. It was just like this almost haunting. Um, but, um, so I ended up, um, leaving the Mormon church when I was 17 and, um, I ended up traveling around the world. I ended up in Liberia, Monrovia, Liberia, after the genocide in 2000, 
and 12, the UN had come in to bring peace. Um, and so I started going over and helping with um, children's soldiers and just seeing that kind of, um, I ended up doing that on and off for about eight years. Wow. Um, and just seeing the, the need, the grief, I wanted to be able to bring a real skill uh, that could really impact and not just be uh, some white American showing up. You know, I wanted to really be able to impact. Um, and so I decided to go back to school and I got my formal education is in women's health care. Um, labor and delivery is the death rates in Africa are out, are it's outrageous, you know, how much women suffer in the death rate in infants. Um, so I decided to go back to school and um, I studied, um, I did everything was expected of me for eight years. I did my residency um, and all that was left was my boards and I couldn't do it. There was something in me that still felt like this is not what I wanna do. Um, being on call 24 seven was not ideal. I did not love that. Um, but I ended up, um, I came out gay when I was like, I knew I was gay my whole life, but I, it was never an option. I had to, it was always a sin. I had to keep in check. Um, so when I finally did come out, um, I ended up in a relationship really fast, which happens, especially with lesbians. You go all in, there's a joke about the U-Haul, the first date, you get a U-Haul. I've never like, heard that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. You know, you're a lesbian if the first date includes a U-Haul. That's that's what you hear. I had not heard that yet because I was very new. Um, but so anyways, I ended up coming out, getting into a relationship, getting married really fast. And my wife at the time um, was a sex therapist. Um, and just the experience in the, uh, her books and everything um, around... Um, just connection and relationships, I became obsessed. Um, I can become a very fixated person. Um, I just became um, radically fixated on attachment theory, how the brain works, why relationships, how relationships even work. Um, and just after perseverating over these, um, all this information, I decided to let go of my um, to totally abandon the dream of being uh, OBGYN and um, pursue becoming a relationship expert. Um, so I let that go and I spent the next couple years as an Uber driver and I would upset, I would listen to podcasts like these, you yeah. know, how did people do it? How do you create your own thing? There's so much free information out there and I was broke, but I knew what I wanted to do. And I wanted to be the best at it. I wanted to be excellent at bringing clarity to relationships, the complexity of relationships. Um, and so I just got every single free information I could, every free training. I was, I was, would park the car in between rides. I'd write out word for word verbatim what people were saying. Um, and, um, Unfortunately, my wife and I ended up getting divorced and in it, there was no resources for LGBT couples specifically for that. Um, <clears throat> and I just became, I just knew more clearer, like, this is what I'm going to do. And um, 
So after that divorce, I just went, I went all in and I was able to start a very successful business. I've worked with um, over 500 couples now in the last um, two years and I love it. It's, it's, it's all I want to do. So it's your, it's like for you, it's you, you started with one passion. You sound like you really get passionate about certain <laughs> starting with going to Liberia. Let's mm-hmm. rewind a little bit. Cause there's a lot to unpack along the way here. Why did you decide all of a sudden just to pick up and go to Liberia? I know you said you wanted to have an impact in the world, but what at that time was, what were the circumstances that led directly to that experience? Yeah. So I, um, my whole Another fixation was basketball. I thought I was going to be a college athlete. I ended up getting a full ride to Portland State. And um, the day that they offered me the scholarship, I told my dad, I'm not going to take it. I felt so much conflict with what do I believe in, my sexuality, um, these expectations that I had, I had been living in. I just wanted to just break away from it. Um, so I ended up with a group that was traveling over there. Um, I went with them to South Africa initially, this group that was just doing like some basic, like, you know, visit orphanages, help build gardens. But I became like the people there just really caught me. Um, and I came back and two days later, I flew over by myself to Liberia. Um, yeah, I think I just get really interested in things. Things catch my attention and I have to do it. I have to go, go for it. I took my family to South Africa. Gosh, it's two and a half years ago. And we went for, I don't know, a couple of weeks and mm-hmm. um, just did a lot of different service, service activities. And um, the culture yeah. was incredible. The people were incredible. It's really quite the experience to jump out of your first world skin and, and yeah. go to a place where um, the culture is so different and the, the way people act and respond and receive and give is so different. I'm sure that had a very impactful um, impact on you for sure. Oh, yeah. Um, it was, yeah, it was, it really developed me. I feel like it really woke me up mm. in a new way. Uh, my actual first memories of life, I lived in Saudi Arabia Um, my dad was in the military. And so third world countries like that's, um, you know, women weren't allowed to show their face and, you know, just the difference I wasn't used to when I came to America, I was overwhelmed by McDonald's and car and limousines. And, you know, so I had that influence and I wanted to be in that environment. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of wish everybody, it was like a requirement, you know, right. Kind of funny enough, I, I believe the LDS, is, it's the LDS church, pretty much a rite of passage at 18, 17 is going and doing missions, and they, but they don't necessarily send them overseas. I mean, I think they do sometimes, but I kind yeah. of feel like a rite of passage for everybody should be going to a third world country and go, doing service. Like, it's just so incredibly life-changing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I have eight brothers, and the majority of them have been on missions. They go for two years, and wow. a few of them, and my sister, actually, my sister went to Brazil. My brother went to Africa, actually Ghana. So, mm. yeah, they do. They they get out there. Yeah, yeah. So, you go, you go head first and get right. obsessed with kind of this OBGYN birthing mm-hmm. specialist thing. Um, mm-hmm. Boy, I mean, what kind of feedback did you get from the people in your life when you went through all this work? And really, <laughs> feel, and then at the eleventh hour, you're like, "Never mind, I'm done." Yeah, 
Um, yeah, there was definitely some big conversations mm-hmm. around it. Um, my dad really encouraged me to keep doing it, keep finish what I started, you know, and I, I wanted to, I had that value, but I knew that it was, it, I was so grateful for that. And the knowledge that I have now, I'm able to really help my friends and family when there's births, but, um, yeah, I think they knew me too. And when I have something on my mind, I don't shift. Yeah. Hey, before we get started, imagine having a team of virtual assistants helping you out with everything from scheduling appointments, nurturing leads, processing payments, sending out marketing emails, creating content, managing your social media accounts, and so much more. The Ace for Gyms is here to make sure your business runs as smoothly as possible so that you can focus on what matters most, serving your clients. We offer a wide range of services that will completely run your business and give you the one thing everyone is limited on, more time. Check out our website at www.vasforgyms.com. That's V-A-S-F-O-R-gyms.com and book an appointment to find out more. So did you always kind of have this feeling of, I mean, you're, you're definitely an entrepreneur. You're a business owner because you're a coach. Mm-hmm. Everything yeah. is self-contained. You are yeah. what, you know, makes things happen. Did yeah. you always kind of have that drive in you or was this something that just came on um, when that, when you started to really use, use the word perseverate, which I love, you started to perseverate mm-hmm. on this new path. Um, I wish I could say yes, I, but I didn't. I, I just had this. I always felt stuck in this like longing to like, I know there's something that I want. I, I want to be excellent at what I do. And I felt like it felt so big in me that I felt stuck. Like, I don't know what, I don't know where to go. And it took me a lot of years to get to the point where I could be like, okay, this is very clearly what I'm going to be focusing on. Um, but no, like I was not starting different businesses as a kid or being savvy with my money and financial investments. Like I just, um, no, it wasn't something that was there. Yeah. It's, it's just a really curious study for me because, you know, I interview a lot of entrepreneurs, coaches, like yeah. said, business owners, and it's about 50, 50, you, right. I think there's this perception out there. They, you know, they were doing the lemonade stand and, and right. washing <laughs> cars and it's definitely, right. there's definitely those out there, but it's usually mm-hmm. a purpose shift or something yeah. that I want more. So it, it absolutely, uh, resonates and it's very, um, common. So you, you, then you dive into this attachment theory. Like yep. I love, you just basically did automobile, um, university, right? <laughs> yeah. I love that. Yeah. I mean, yep. you, you, you did what it took. I'm, I'm mm-hmm. sure that school wasn't free. So you probably had all this money go out for your school. I don't need to know the details, but right. now, now you're an Uber driver. Right. <laughs> yeah. 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 It, you know, it hit my pride a little bit to shift to that degree. Um, yeah, it was, I just felt like I had to find a way to figure this out. And, you know, I started reading like Think and Grow Rich and listening to Tony Robbins and doing morning rituals, everything I could to develop myself more than I was the day before. That was my fixation. Like, I'm going to develop myself more today than I was yesterday. How do I do that with my body, with my mind, with my spirit? 
And I kept recording myself the next day, every other day I'd record myself and I'd tell, I'd talk about what I learned and who I'm going to be. And, um, all through like just Uber driving. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But, um, then I finally got to this point where I could start investing in trainings and doing things that I wanted to really get to the level that I am now. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I'm really fond of this process that you went through because it Mm -hmm. takes a complete determination. It takes a very strong focus. I've never heard somebody say I recorded every day, my process. Do you still have all of those recordings? I mean, what is what does this look like? Is it a library on your computer, on your phone? <laughs> yeah, there's a bunch on my phone. I would just get my phone and like put it on the kitchen counter and just like uh, passionately like, you know, just go for it. Like I wanted everything in my body to know the certainty that I was, th- that I was feeling. I just wanted to keep feeding that. Yeah, it's really unique. I think it probably was really powerful. Have you ever mm-hmm. looked back on those at all? Yeah. Yeah. It's a little embarrassing when I look back, but, uh, but then now, like where I am now, it makes me like, it's really moving mm-hmm. to be like, you know, I, I knew nothing. I, I was broke. And I mean, if to look at myself now from where I was, that all counted, everything was, was pushing me forward every day. I woke up to do mindset work or journaling and people even closest to me were like, Donna, you're wasting your time. Like you need to go to school and get a degree and finish what you were going for. Like there's no, there's no, um, future here. And, um, I would just, I just felt this certainty in my body that I am doing this no matter what. That's a, you bring up a, a, a pretty big thought on my head is I have kids that are one that's 17 going on 18. It's this whole college. You need to do this right. thing to get this degree, to get this certification, to do this exact thing that society wants to put you in a box. Mm-hmm. Um, so you did run against some, some folks really struggling with your choices as far as career. Yeah. I mean, honestly, Scott, my whole life, I have gone against the expectation that I was raised to be I was raised to be a wife, um, to be a mom, um, to have a to have an education, um, and I'm not. I'm I'm not Mormon. I'm a gay woman. I don't have kids, you know. And and there's no degree in my future. I have no interest in that as of now. Um, but if someone told me that you couldn't do something, like some someone told me you can't run a marathon without, um, training. And so I did it the next day. I marked out one mile loop and I did it 37 times. I did it more. I wanted to go past the marathon mark. I did 37 <laughs> miles. I so lost you, all, all my toenails. Well, that actually tells me a lot about your personality. Mm-hmm. I, I, um, and that's a real unique mm-hmm. position to be in. And I, I actually, of course, that was probably a little dangerous, but <laughs> I really admire that. I once had mm-hmm. someone tell me that I couldn't do something, and it was literally what led me to the business I'm in today. And yeah. it allowed me to to actually step away from working for that person because I, mm. like you said, no, I couldn't do it. Guess what? <laughs> yep. Yeah. yeah. So I admire that a lot. So let's yeah. talk about um, mm-hmm. this attachment theory. Like, when did this kind of come about, this is the thing I want to do. This is, wow. Was this, did you hear mm-hmm. about this through podcasting, you know, be, listening to podcasts or was there a certain place where that just kind of popped into your head and you're like, Oh, I got to get into this. 
Yeah, I think it's just little parts here and there that I started learning about. And then I tried to find, okay, who's the best at this and who I found, I mean, there's multiple people research attachment theory, but uh, the model that I've been trained in now is by Dr. Stan Tacken, and it's a psychobiological approach to couples therapy. And that's what I, that's the model I use with my couples. Um, and it's based on, a, you know, attachment theory and developmental neuroscience um, and auto-regulation. So we have, we have histories, we have traumas, and we all have a dream to be loved and to be, you know, this ideal, I want to get married, have a family, and then you get together and we don't know what to do. And we're, we're all getting triggered and we don't even know why sometimes we just know we don't want to fuck it up. Um, so eliminating those threats, teaching couples, I get them activated and then I show them how to move through it because you have to be able to take care of your, yourself and your partner at the same time. But what happens is we get scared. We defend our own intention and we drop our partner. And that's when we go to war. That's when things get big. I mean, that's what I do. I show couples how to do that, how to stay connected. And it all comes down to safety and security in the relationship. Um, you know, it, it's the, the war is outside, but in the foxhole together, we're safe. You and me, we protect each other in public and in private. I've got your back. If, if you're in distress, I bring relief as soon as possible. We've agreed to this. And by doing this agreement, uh, it makes our life easier. Mm. Yeah, that's fascinating. I was actually <laughs> interviewing someone for a different podcast yesterday who mm. works a lot with grief and was wow. actually talking about um, grief and trauma and and talking about how the the trauma and then our kind of our primal, you know, um, genetic response to things will mm. will um, will keep us in unsafe and unsatisfactory re relationships because of the fear, um, you know, you got this little tribal thing, you got this protection, you're mm -hmm. with somebody. I, I'm butchering, I'm sure. He, uh, <laughs> he was a very, very, uh, he was great at this. Have you ever experienced working, and maybe this, you don't have to answer this question, but mm -hmm. working with couples where it wasn't, like, this is not good, this is unhealthy. And, and um, do you use the same approach at that point to heal that relationship? Um, yeah, I mean, no, I don't, I believe that no couple is beyond repair, but sometimes I, I don't think that couples should get stay together, you know, no matter what, um, we know now from research that actually, you know, parents used to stay together for the kids. And now we know that it's actually harming the children, their immune system, um, anxiety, it's not good. Um, so that comes into play, but as far as trauma goes, we, it's a myth that people have that if I just stay single and take care of myself, then I can get, you know, better and then I'll be a good partner. And that's actually not true. We know now that the brain heals faster with another. We're born into relationship and we need others to heal. And so our brain heals faster with another person, especially the person that we're the most um, attached to, which you know, attachment theory comes into play there, but, um, that's so profound. And that's a big part of the work I do is try to show couples that they can help their partner repair and mm. recover faster by having a different response than what they've been used to. So you're training, I'm trying to figure out where the bio or, um, 
So you say psychobiological approach? Yeah, yeah. So we're trained, I mean, our number one sort of, our number one job, our brain is to keep us alive. Right. And there's no tiger anymore. It's the person in front of us that we love. And we think that once we have a ring on our finger or we buy a house or get married, we're going to feel safer, but we actually feel more threatened. There's more risk. So our brain is trying to do its job and keep us safe. But that's why we get confused. Like, why, why are we having these big blow up fights? Why do we feel so disconnected? You know, and it's it, that, that biology that's in us, you know, that, that plays out huge in relationships. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. fascinating. Yeah. <laughs> every time I hear these things about the trauma and then the biology, mm-hmm. uh, it's like all these stories flash in front of my head, these experiences. And, and it's like, oh my gosh, like I didn't recognize that in the moment, but it's so clear. And it's, it's just, and bringing that to light is probably really uh, transformational for, for couples, I would imagine. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, when, a, yeah, I mean, the way that you load the dishwasher could make your partner, you know, hit a spot or if you're late for something, you know, couples fight about five things, the money, mess, sex, time, and kids. It's mm-hmm. never about those things, but you know, the way that your partner criticizes you, asks you to load the dishwasher could create this memory because our body remembers the way that you never were able to meet expectations of your parents. Right. Yeah. So that's what's happening. Wow. <laughs> A few triggers there. No right. <laughs> uh, yeah. Cause it's, it's always interesting, you know, my wife and I've been married for 25 years and the things that trigger you are so minimal and so stupid. It's like, why did this cause a blow up? Like right. what is going on? And get yeah. so in it in the moment that you don't have like your body just actually turns, turns off. Yeah. Your brain actually turns off and you're in this survival mode. And then it leads to this stupid right. thing that later you're like, what was that about? Right. Like, what was the most stupid thing? Yeah, Scott, what you just said is so important is the, you know, my brain turned off Mm -hmm. and that's that survival mode, right? We either fight, flee or freeze. And oftentimes in a couple, in a pair, one person will avoid and shut down and the other will get big and want to talk it out. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't work because the person that shuts down makes their partner get bigger because any response is better than no response. So I'm going to keep coming until you respond to me, Yeah, but we can't we can't move forward with the topic if we're offline, if I'm shut down. So how do you bring your partner safety and back into their adult regulated body? How do you do that? Do you like, if I asked you, how do you bring relief to your wife? Do you, what comes to mind? Well, it's certainly not yelling and escalating, <laughs> which is, you know, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, calm, holder. I mean, yeah. all sorts of things that work. And how do you know that she's back and she's calm and she feels safe with you? I don't know. For me, it's just the embrace. It's the Yeah. Yeah. It's in the body. Yeah. And that's where you start. You notice the body. Are the shoulders tense? Is the jaw clenching? Are their breath still? You pay attention to that. And we miss those cues. Mm-hmm. And we have to be able to air correct as soon as possible. Because if not, our partner, it, it, they could stay in that spot. And then we keep trying to talk about the topic. Right. 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 That doesn't go anywhere. Just makes yeah. it worse. A big, you know, 
breathwork's been huge for me to bring my brain back into activation. And I've asked my wife multiple times, like, hey, if I start to get like, you can see me escalate, Mm -hmm. just tell me to breathe. Like I Mm. need this like reset, like, oh, awesome. Yeah. I need to like bring it back together. Uh, take, you know, uh, I had a coach that called it amygdala hijack and I not. Yeah. And so mm-hmm. for me, it's like, it's always like, Ooh, I'm getting hijacked. What a powerful tool for couples <laughs> to be able to kind of bring things back into like, let's get out of that survival mode and bring it back to, um, a place where there's real thought happening and real intentional conversation. That's not destructive. Yeah. Yeah. Once you can bring them safety, then you can move on with the topic, but not until they're back. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's very interesting. Um, let's shift a little bit Yeah, hear a little bit about what, uh, makes you tick. What, what keeps <laughs> you on your toes, uh, other than just going and running a marathon? <laughs> yeah. What are some things that you do now that, that continue to help you grow? in your profession and in your business, you know, there's so many elements here. We're talking about not only the practice we're talking about, you know, maybe scaling, maybe making sure you're still connecting with new people out there. Let's kind of dig a little bit into some just standard business practices that you've kind of had to really up your game in. Yeah. Um, I mean, the number one thing is my mindset to, uh, I had, I had to get past the point that because I didn't have any formal education in this field that people that I could really help people. Um, So I had to, the mindset work is number one, Um, breath work, ice baths, things that are hard and doing them first thing in the morning. Um, And then just every day I write out what, what have I done? What have I accomplished? Um, what were my goals and what have I accomplished? And you continually look and see, wow, I just got better at that. Wow. I just accomplished that. And that something happens in your mind. It's like, it makes the next goal feel way more attainable to Mm me. Mm -hmm. Um, And then just having, I mean, a mentor in my life is a must in multiple areas of my life. Um, That's been huge. Yeah. Those are, those are uh, all things that I do as well. Mm-hmm. In fact, this morning I felt like such a wimp because I'd start with a hot shower <laughs> and I, at the end, I like just, I just spin that dial all the way cold. And usually I'm just like, fine, I can catch my breath. I can kind of control. And, you know, mm-hmm. for the listeners, if you haven't done this, like, just do it. Just, it, it's so yeah. incredibly difficult and it never, ever gets easy. But um, I was screaming like a little girl <laughs> or yeah. a little boy, probably how I screamed when I was a little boy. I, was like, ah! uh, I just kind of laughed when I got out because my wife didn't say anything. She's just, but anyway, um, so what about doing hard things every day? Mm-hmm. What, what is that? Why, what's your reasoning behind that? Um, I think I've had to learn through a lot of loss that when I am comfortable not, it's never good. Um, I never, nothing happens when I'm comfortable. Um, you know, going through uh, the divorce last year, it was out of the blue, devastating. Um, just it, it really woke me up in a new way. And I remember, um, I remember feeling so much grief 
and wanting relief as soon as possible through alcohol or food or whatever I could to escape it. And I just decided to surrender to it and let the grief do its work in me and let it be painful. Um, there was no way out of it. It just had to be. And from that pain, from that unexpected divorce and loss, developed who I am now. The person I was last year compared to a year later, it's not the same. I'm not the same. Um, and I learned through that pain, like, okay, this is going to do something. I know that we hear this, like, pain is good, you know, but um, it does something in you if you can really accept it. Like, I'm not looking to be in pain, but I'm doing things to challenge myself to keep growing, to keep developing. Because when I get comfortable and I watch Netflix and I sit, I, I don't like that version of me. Right. And I, I want to be remarkable in what I do. I want to be exceptional in my craft. And I'm going to find every way I can, even if that means jumping in a frozen river or you know, challenging myself to run a marathon, those things will, are what, for me personally, that's what helps me keep growing. Yeah. It's a fascinating study. Mm -hmm. I, you know, it's, mm -hmm. it's a very, very, very common. It's a, it's a commonality among those who are building businesses, entrepreneurs mm. really trying to grow is that they step into discomfort every single day. Yeah. And, uh, it's, it's fascinating. So you said mentors, do you mm -hmm. like, Let's talk a little bit about that because there's a lot of talk out there. And I do actually believe mm -hmm. that you can have mentors without them even knowing it, you know, by right. <laughs> somebody listening to their podcasts, reading their blogs, all those things. I mean, I, I would say yeah. I have about two mentors right now who have taught me so much and they have no clue. They don't even know who I am, but yeah. what have you done to kind of make sure you have mentors and people in place who are helping you move your needle, your business needle in the right direction? Yeah. Um, that's a good question. You know, I think my mentor initially um, from years ago, I didn't even know that it was pushing me this way, was Esther Perel. Um, I don't know if you've heard of her. She's a sex and family psychologist. Um, she has a podcast called Where, Where Do We Begin? And she talks about the novelty. We want safety and security, but we also want mystery and excitement. Right. You know, um, that influenced me greatly. Um, um and then like, you know, my heroes are like Tony Robbins and these people that were making themselves from nothing to something, you know? Um, and then just like my partner now is someone who inspires me. Every time we work out, she always goes past the point that the timer goes off every time. And it makes me so angry because I want to stop. I'm counting down the time. Three, <laughs> two, one, I'm done. And she just keeps going. And that really inspires me. But yeah, people in my life, everybody in my life is intentional. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's really good. I think mm -hmm. it, it, that importance of putting people in your life who are intentional, who have a growth mentality and a growth yep. mindset, yeah, and who are going to push you out of your comfort zone all of the time and, and encourage you and, and support you through that. Um, yeah. Yeah. Before I ask the last question, I do have to, I want to let you kind of tell us what's the best place to find Donna. If somebody's interested in learning more about what you do or your craft. Yeah. Um, so I just use social media, Instagram. My, my um, handle name is Donna Noble. <laughs> That's easy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I just do, this is, I talk about relationships, how to make them work. And, um, 
Um, the main thing is, you know, I really believe in that you don't need to be in couples therapy for a year or more. You can actually have a great impact in a short period of time using very specific science-based techniques. Hmm. Um, and so that's what I post on every day is how to do that. Yeah, that's awesome. So it's really easy to consume some of your content and then reach out to you if it's something that they're wanting to do. That is really cool. Um, okay. The last question, uh, is if you could go back in time, I don't care when you get to choose and, and give yourself one piece of advice, what would that be? Um, I'm going to steal this from Rob Bell. He is uh, an author. Um, he says everything belongs. And that's something that I, uh, when I do like childhood resourcing, you know, I, that's something I really believe in everything I've been through. Um, it is not the same as everything happens for a reason. I don't believe that, but everything belongs. Everything has meaning. And, you know, you can, you might've heard this from Tony Robbins, but you can take things as life is happening to you or for you. Mm-hmm. And I, um, I think everything is happening. I'm going to live out of things are happening for me, no matter what it is. I'm going to use it. Yeah. That's awesome. I've never heard that everything belongs, but I think that really mm-hmm. makes a lot of sense. Yeah. 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 Very cool. Uh, thank you so much for being a guest. Really appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Scott. I really enjoyed this conversation. Awesome. Thank you for listening to the Stories That Sell podcast. If you appreciated the content on the show, be sure to leave a rating and review and subscribe to hear interviews with incredible guests each and every week.